0: let me invite you now to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1, and we will uh, review a passage that's very familiar to us. I'd like to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 for you this morning, and we'll reflect on the birth of our Savior. Matthew chapter 1. Starting in verse 18. And it's my privilege to read for you the inspired Word of God. So please listen to the reading of the Word uh, with reverence and in faith. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, the beginnings of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke record... A lot of events surrounding the conception and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the angelic visit to Zechariah in the temple, informing him of the birth of his son, who would be the forerunner for the Messiah. We have the angelic visits to Joseph and to Mary. Then the angels come to the shepherds in the field Later, we have in the temple the announcements of Simeon and Anna, the two prophets, prophetesses, prophetess and a prophet, who announce the glory of this child that was born. And then later, the magi who come seeing the miraculous star which guides them to the very house where the baby was living at that time. And all these events are celebratory, they are all interesting to study, to see the glory of the unfolding of the birth of Christ. But the main spotlight on all of this is on the child. It's on the baby that was conceived in Mary's virgin womb and was later born. It's the glory of this unique and incredibly... uh, fascinating child that was born by the power of the Holy Spirit that is really where the spotlight should appropriately go John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth So the glory of this child is seen in the virgin conception. It was a miracle conception. And also in the names and titles given to this baby at that time in which he was conceived and born. So that's what I want us to focus on uh, this morning with the time that we have. Let's begin by looking first at... uh, the fact that Mary was a virgin when she conceived we see this in Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen that we just read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. We also read in matthew one twenty three Again, quoting from Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. So clearly this was a miracle that took place. This is not an ordinary conception or ordinary birth. It was a miracle. Mary was a virgin. And that lends to just the incredible glory of this event. We're also plainly told in Scripture that Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And this is Gabriel, the angel, talking to Mary. And he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What's interesting, the word overshadow that's used here is used in the Old Testament of various theophanies, that is, appearances of God. This, was used, this word overshadow was used of the Shekinah glory of God that would appear in various stages of Israel's history. It's used of the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, overshadowing them in the wilderness. It's that same glory cloud that descended on the tabernacle that overshadowed the tabernacle. And the very Word itself speaks to the very presence of Almighty God. So when it says that the Most High will overshadow you, God draws near to perform the miracle of this conception that's taking place in Mary's womb. He's referred to as a holy child. He will be a a human, yet without sin because he's holy. And he's also referred to as the Son of God. In Matthew 1, we find again the similar truth being spelled out. In Matthew 1, verse 18, it says, Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And this is the angel speaking to Joseph. So twice in this revelation, we find that the angel refers to the fact that the child is the result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. So it's the Holy Spirit that miraculously brings about the conception of this child. He will have a full and complete human nature that possesses all the attributes and qualities of being human except without a sin nature. And so what we're told so far, if you just look at this and what the rest of the Scriptures tell us about this child that was conceived in Mary's womb, is that the eternal and infinite, all-powerful, all-glorious Son of God, was miraculously joined with a second nature. A human nature. A finite temporal nature of man. And these two natures are distinct, and yet they are combined in one person. And that is the mystery of the incarnation. Fully God. Fully man without sin. In one person, now being conceived in Mary's womb. This is a child like no other. This is a child that astounds us to try to understand not only the miracle, but just the nature of the child that's in Mary's womb. Again, fully divine. Fully human. Two natures distinct, yet combined in one person now as a little baby in Mary's womb. It boggles the mind to try to understand the glory of this child. The virgin conception, therefore, and the birth of our Lord are essential Christian doctrines. If there is no virgin birth, there's no God-man. This child who is fully God and fully man. If there's no God-man, there's no Savior. And if there's no Savior, then we're all left to die in our sins and be punished by God in judgment and hell. So you cannot be a Christian and deny the virgin conception and birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. To do so is to invent a different Jesus of a different character who cannot be our Savior. You must believe in the virgin Conception and birth. To add to that, just look at all the different names and titles that are given to this child at the time of his conception and of his birth. Let's start with the one we read. Let's see. I'm going to need help from the booth. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that we've already read. And again, this is the angel of the Lord to Joseph. Who said, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. We have Gabriel. Who now comes to Mary. And says, and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. So the name Jesus is given to this child by God Himself. God sends the angel, Gabriel, to Mary and another unnamed angel to Joseph. Maybe that was Gabriel too. We don't know. But to deliver the the name that this child will be given. So it was chosen by His Heavenly Father. Now the name Jesus... Means literally Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus actually means. Now, this name Jesus was very popular in the first century. A lot of baby boys were given the name Jesus. Matter of fact, Josephus, who is a first century Jewish historian, records no less than 12 people that had the name Jesus in the first century. Now, when they were given the name Jesus, of course, it was just a shell. It was a name that pointed to God, it was merely a representation of what maybe they hoped God would bless this child or whatever, but. When it was given to Mary's child, it actually the name actually reflects the true expression of his character. He is Yahweh, who is salvation. He is Almighty God, who comes to save his people from their sins. And this is the very meaning of the name Jesus. The Lord saves, or Yahweh is salvation. So we find in this name several amazing things. We find not only his character, that's just not a a nomination, a, a name just given to him just as a representation of God, it actually describes who He is in this person. He is Yahweh in human flesh. The Son of God. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit and the Trinity. The Son of God is also referred to as Yahweh. Now takes on a human nature. So this is Yahweh. This is God. The name given to this child truly represents His character. He's not just a human baby. He is fully God and fully human. But not only that, the name represents His mission. This is why He was conceived. This is why He was born. Because Yahweh saves. For Yahweh is salvation. He came to save His people from their sins. The name Jesus not only captures the essence of His character, it captures the very essence of His mission. Why He was sent down from heaven to save us from our sins. So that the name clearly teaches that Jesus is both God and Savior. The next name... Or title, more specifically, given by Isaiah the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now again, in the Old Testament, Israel is once referred to as God with us because God did appear and manifest His presence with His people in various ways throughout the Old Testament. Again, the Shekinah glory cloud. You have visions. You have angels coming down, bringing various uh, revelations to God's people. You have the angel of the Lord. But again, when this name is given to this child, it's literally understood and fulfilled that His title of who He is is Emmanuel, God with us. Because literally, that's what this child was. This is God now with them in human form, with a full and complete human nature. But this is God dwelling with them, walking with them, speaking with them, eating with them, fellowshipping with them. Is God in the flesh with them? Literally, God is with them. So the name Emmanuel, again, carries on. A fulfillment that transcends any other use of this name. This is what we mean when we speak of the incarnation. The enfleshing of God becoming a man. Two natures in one person, as Paul said of of the Lord Jesus in Colossians 2.9. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. Fully God, fully man. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Hebrews 1.3 So that Emmanuel, God with us, referring to the Incarnation, did not make Jesus half God and half man. It did not make Jesus a deified man or a humanized God. He was not God and just a human body only or a man who was merely endowed by the Spirit of God. No, He was fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person. And that's the glory of the name Emmanuel that the prophet gives to this child. There are others. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel speaks to Mary and refers to Him as the Son of the Most High who will possess the very throne of His father David so He'll be a king. That He will be called the Holy Child and the Son of God again. So, many descriptions that Gabriel gives to Mary about this child. Again, we see the eternal Son of God is being conceived in Mary's womb as a baby. The only begotten of the Father. Totally unique in His person. That Jesus would call God His Father because He's the Son of God. And whenever Jesus referred to God as His Father, all the Jewish leaders thought that He was blaspheming. Because if you call God your Father... Now, the Jews called God our Father in certain contexts. But for an individual to actually say, God is my Father, they said they thought that was blasphemy. That's why in John chapter 5, verse 18 as the Jews were trying to kill Jesus, it was for two reasons. Number one, He was breaking the Sabbath. And number two, He was the divine Son of God, the holy sinless child, who's also a king. I also like what the holy child that His Son would be the forerunner for. And He described Him this way, Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sun rise from on high feet into the way of peace. Because by nature there is enmity between God and man because of our sin. And we deserve God's wrath. And we despise God. And there, we are at enmity against God. And we deserve His judgment and wrath. But this child will take away that sin. So that now the enmity can be removed and there can be peace between sinners who believe in Jesus Christ and this Holy Father. Without this child, without His light, there can be no peace. And we stand before God, clothed in our sin, guilty before the law of God and face the wrath of God. And if you're in that position this morning, we call upon you to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ alone who can save you. He's the light of the world. He's the sunrise from on high. And finally, we have the angel of the Lord to the shepherds who say that for this day in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here we find the angel speaking to the shepherds, referring to this child as Savior, because only he can be our Savior. As Messiah or Christ, Christ means the Anointed One, which is the name for the Messiah. So now all of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of the Messiah are fulfilled in this little child that's born in Bethlehem. All the 116 or so specific Old Testament prophecies personally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the 50 or more types, major types, that all point forward to the coming of this child are now fulfilled that night when Christ is born. And He's referred to as Lord. Yahweh, God, Sovereign Master. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. So what we find is just in the events around the conception and birth of our Lord, all of these names and titles that speak to the fact that He was fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person. And this precious truth is so sweet, it's sweeter than the purest honey, and yet for that very fact draws the flies of a thousand heresies which converge upon it. And so in the early church, many heretics began to come up with different theories about who this child was. And the Council of Chalcedon dealt with many of those heresies that were Coming into the church early on. And I've, in your outline, in your notes, I've recorded uh, the main paragraphs from the Council of Chalcedon. But basically, the truths that this is stating forth are very clear that Jesus Christ is truly God, truly man, that he is one essence with the Father. He shares all the fullness of the divine nature, all the attributes, everything, equally with the Father. He's also one essence with us. He is fully human. Body, soul, mind, spirit, fully human except no sin. And all of these two natures are combined in one person. And that's the mystery, the glory Of this child. Of the incarnation of the Lord. So there are several four crucial affirmations. That are true of this child. That this council wanted to make clear. That Jesus Christ is fully God. Against Arius who denied that Jesus Christ was God. That's like the modern day Jehovah's Witnesses. So I refuted that. Secondly, that Jesus Christ is fully man, and that was to contradict the Apollinarians because they rejected that truth. They denied the full humanity of Jesus Christ. That Christ is one person against the Nestorians who said there are two persons, two natures and two persons in that body. So they refuted that. And finally, that Christ's deity and humanity remained distinct. Versus Eutyches who wanted to combine them and morph them into a third constituted characteristic. So it refuted all of those things. So that the mystery of the incarnation is that in the conception and birth of Jesus Christ, that this child was both infinite and infant. Eternal, yet born of a woman. Almighty, yet helpless babe. Supporting a universe on one hand, yet needing to be carried in His mother's arms. That He was a King of kings and the King of angels. Yet He was laid in a lowly cattle trough. He that made man was made man. The Creator took on the second nature of a creature. And the glory of the Incarnation is such that the spotlight of Scripture shines upon Him and we can merely just stand back because we don't fully understand it and just marvel and glory at the child that was conceived and later born from Mary's womb. Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said that for Christ to be made flesh was more than all the angels to be made worms. you think about that, that's an interesting comment. That the condescension of the eternal, divine Son of God to lower Himself, to take on a second nature, a human nature, is a far greater condescension than if the holy angels of God, if all of them, perfect beings that they were, living in the holy presence of a holy God, who are always worshiping and doing the will of God, if all of them were made like disgusting earthworms, that lowering from one creature to another can't begin to explain the glory of the Son of God, fully God, willing to take on a human nature. That gap is infinite between the divine and the human. It's a glory that Martin Luther said that the mystery of the humanity of Christ that He sunk Himself into our flesh is beyond all human understanding. And he went on to say that we need new tongues to proclaim this doctrine because it is a mystery that we cannot fully understand. So why? Did he come down? Why did the Son of God come down and take on a human nature to be fully God and fully man? Well, because it took that for him to be our Savior, and apart from that, we do not have a Savior. Only man should pay the penalty for his sins, but only God can. It can only be paid by God becoming a man, a God-man. And apart from that, there is no other way that we could be saved. Christ must be fully God. He must have a divine nature to satisfy the infinite wrath and justice of God. A creature cannot take away God's infinite wrath and justice that we deserve. Only God can do that. But He must also be a man because He must identify fully with our nature to be our substitute. That's why in the Old Testament, the animals, the blood of animals could not take away your sin because an animal doesn't share our nature. We're created in the image of God. They are not. That's why angels could not die for us and take away our sin. They don't share our nature either. For one to be our Savior, he must be fully God to be able to satisfy the infinite demands of God's law and justice against us and fully man to be able to take our place and fully identify with us to bear our sins. If he's not fully God and fully man, he cannot save us. That's why Mary cannot save us. Contrary to almost some. Mohammed cannot save us. Moses cannot save us. And that's why you cannot save yourself. Because you're guilty of sin. There's nothing you can do to expunge your sin from you. You can't scrub it off your soul. You can't wash it away. You can't bleach it out. Your sins are stuck to you. And the only way you can be forgiven of them is to have a God-man who dies in your place to take your sin and to suffer the full penalty of the wrath of God. That's why only Jesus Christ can be our Savior. And only Jesus Christ is our Savior. As Peter says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the glory of this child that was conceived and born from Mary's virgin womb. I want you to notice something about the next slide once I get it up there. Matthew 1.21 She will bear a son. You shall call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. You see any uncertainty in that? You see any contingency in that? He will save His people from their sins. That prophecy, that word given by the angel to Joseph says that this child will not fail in what He's about to accomplish. He will succeed triumphantly. He will save His people from their sins. There's no making salvation just possible. He will actually accomplish salvation for His people. He will actually die on the cross for their sins and suffer and bleed and die and pay the full penalty for the sins of those for whom He died. He will save them. Not just a generic, general kind of salvation. He will save His people from their sins. And who are His people? Well, Jesus tells us in John 6.39, This is the will of Him who sent Me, that of all that He has given Me, I lose none. So ultimately, it's a reference to the elect chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4, that Jesus Christ will fully accomplish their salvation on the cross. I like what Matthew Henry said about <clears throat> the Gospel. He said, By the light of nature, we see God as a God above us. By the light of the law, we see Him as a God against us. But by the light of the Gospel, we see Him as a God who is with us and for us. And we see this in the birth of Emmanuel, Jesus, conceived in Mary's womb, born of her womb. This incredible, miraculous conception and birth which was absolutely necessary for our redemption. The Son of God must become a man so that he could become our Savior. So, this is the marvel when you focus upon the conception of this child in Mary's womb that there is a baby who is fully God and fully man. I mean, it's a mystery to us, but it's true. This little baby growing in Mary's womb like any normal human child would. And those little hands that were developing with their own unique fingerprints were there for one reason so that those hands one day would be nailed to a Roman cross. Those little feet that were developing with those beautiful little toes. They came down from heaven. The Son of God came down to take on a human nature so that those feet could be pierced when He's hanging on the cross. That little head in that womb of Mary would one day have a crown of thorns crushed down upon it. That little body so sweet and tender in the womb would one day have a spear rammed into His body, into His side because that's why He came. The Son of God, fully God and fully man, didn't just come down to entertain us. He didn't come down to just educate us. He didn't come down to just teach us what the Father is like. He came down to die for us. To bear our sin. That any sinner no matter how vile and guilty they are, no matter what horrendous sins they are guilty of, if they repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, can be completely forgiven of all of their sins, past, present, and future. And that's the glory of the conception and the birth of this child. conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit bringing about this human nature, to be joined with His divine nature in one person so that He could be named Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. So that He might save His people from their sins. Have your sins been forgiven? Do you know that your sins have been paid for? That when you die that your soul will go to heaven. And if you've never come to that assurance, then go to Jesus Christ. He is on His throne now in heaven with His arms outstretched, receiving any sinner who by the grace of God feels a conviction of their sin and calls upon Him and believes in Him and trusts in Him alone to save them from their sins. No one else can save you. You cannot save yourself. Jesus Christ can and will if you believe in Him. One of my favorite hymns goes like this. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood. Sealed my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement! Can it be? Hallelujah! What a Savior! Lifted up was He to die. It is finished, was His cry. Now in heaven, exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. And when He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing, hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, as we have entered into this season where there is a special focus upon the birth of our Lord, Lord, how we marvel, how we glory at the incredible miracle and mystery of the conception and birth of this child. Oh, it's the work of the Spirit of God in the womb of Mary. How He did it, we don't fully understand but that the eternal, infinite Son of God came down from heaven and willingly chose to join to Himself a second nature, a sinless human nature, full and complete. All these two natures combined in one person that He might one day be born live in obscurity for 30 years burst on the scene of history in his in his ministry to heal to teach but most importantly to die on the cross bearing the sins of sinners just like us that he alone could satisfy the infinite demands of your curse and judgment and wrath that we deserve and being fully man he could fully take our place and share our nature and bear our sins and fully pay the complete penalty for all of our sins, fully drinking the cup of your wrath so that any sinner who turns from their sin and believes in him might receive the free gift of everlasting life. Oh, dear Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's never come to faith in Christ, open their heart, grant them faith, and lead them to the Lord Jesus, who alone can be our Savior. We worship You. We thank You. We adore the Christ child. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.